Hello and welcome to Here's the Tea, the podcast about contemporary tea culture with Anna Pavlak. Our guest today is luminary and tea master of the Ueda Soko way of tea, Adam Wojcinski, talking about the way of wabi and sabi. The term wabi-sabi is most commonly used and applied to anything relating to tea ceremony or anything that is arcane Japanese. In this podcast, Adam unpacks and explains the dichotomy of wabi and sabi and why there is more to it than just rustic furniture and broken pottery. Adam is the founder of the first online global school of Japanese tea ceremony called Somu Shachu. You can find out more about this uh, via www.uedasokochanoyu.com. His teaching follow the Ueda Soko School of Chanoyu, which has grown out of the warrior class of Japan and is located in Hiroshima. As translator of the formative manuscripts of Chanoyu, he has become an avid researcher into the beginnings of Chanoyu as an art for spiritual awakening, which led him to co-found the World Tea Gathering, which is a group of tea activists that explore the possibilities of tea as an art of togetherness. You can find out more about it and support his work via www.patreon.com slash Adam Somo. Thank you very much for having me again. Um, <laughs> it was great fun last time despite being pixelated uh, terribly. Talking about sacred space, I must have been uh, God angry because I was talking bullshit about his <laughs> <laughs> um, well, maybe you just transcended above it all and just, you know. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, no, but I think um, uh, today's topic, um, uh, like I wanted to talk to you today about the, uh, the aesthetic or the concept of Wabi Sabi. And I uh, reacted very strongly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. Um, <laughs> That actually, I was up my own bum, so to speak, as well, um, in not being proactive enough about talking about Wabi and Sabi with my students mm -hmm. and talking about aesthetic concepts in general in, in practice. Um, so it, it was wonderful. So thank you very much for suggesting the topic. Um, um, where should we start? Um, firstly, why I reacted so strongly, hey? So, um, Wabi-sabi is like a buzzword and I use it um, in jest all the time. Like I'll see um, something walking through the streets or whatever um, or something happens and it's like a suggestion of wretchedness or um, poverty or um, something that's like fading away or something, you know. Something's not right and um, Wabi-sabi so, so um, quite often, um, and actually one of my friends in Melbourne, um, he's a Japanese guy, uh, he founded uh, some two restaurants, uh, Wabi Sabi Garden and Wabi Sabi Salon. And um, so there you go, he concreted that, that gist in the name of his restaurants. But basically uh, Wabi, Wabi Sabi says Wabi Sabi together, he's pointing at that uh, aesthetic ground that they both share which is probably uh, like sadness, wretchedness, something not right, imbalanced, 
And after all, that's the way the world is. So human the F up and get used to it. That's probably like in, a, in an extreme nutshell, uh, what that's pointing to, I think. But um, both of those terms actually are not quite different. They overlap in many ways, um, but they're different. <laughs> so I prefer that um, people talk about it, uh, Wabi and Sabi will talk about Wabi and then talk about Sabi. Is, is there, I mean, is there also maybe what would, would interest me? Because in my research, I came across a few uh, different definitions or, and some seem to like to suggest that it's changed. So, um, there, you know, some books say, okay, um, Bobby means one thing, which then transcended into a different meaning. And, um, and the way Japanese maybe now understand Wabi Sabi um, nowadays is a different thing. Mm. And also, besides the fact that the word itself has a meaning, there is a deeper meaning behind it other than, so almost like more poetical. And I have, an, I have the impression that in, in Japanese quite, I find a lot, there's a lot of words that have a meaning that you can't pinpoint with words, that you can't say, this means this. Like komorebi, for example, you know, like someone said, yes, it is like the, the light coming through the, through the branches of the tree and the leaves, and that's that playing of light and shadow on the forest floor, but it's much deeper than that. And so is wabi-sabi, can, can we understand it like that? And how can we understand it like that? Yeah. Well, it's, it's come through probably a thousand years of evolution through both China and Japan. Um, so this idea of uh, living in uh, desolation, going off like a hermit in the mountains to try and find truth with a capital T, um, to understand the ultimate state of being is like a, a Taoist thing um, that's strengthened with the philosophy of Zen Buddhism that come across um, into China from India. And um, the, what, over, over a thousand years ago, uh, this, this is like starting in earnest, people um, going off, writing poetry about their understanding of natural processes in nature. Right? And so you have that whole history starting in China. And then back, back in those days, uh, Japan idolised the culture of China and was importing it, importing it and their poetry traditions. And of course, the aesthetic, uh, as, not aesthetic, aesthetic concepts uh, that were coming across in the poetry. Mm -hmm. And um, Japan, just like China, the natural environment there is very immutable even more so in Japan probably because it's uh, quite a volcanic uh, country and things are very fleeting and the seasons are express, expressed very strongly in Japan. So this pursuit of these um, uh, images in nature that evoke um, that sense of fleetingness and transience that are linked to these concepts of Wabi and Sabi um, were all around them. And so they started their own poetry culture. Um, they first started off using the standard forms of Chinese power trip, but then morphed into things like, you know, like waka and uh, haiku and things like that, mm. um, based on syllables and syllable counts and whatnot. And, and in Japan, uh, uh, their own culture of hermits going off uh, into the mountains, trying to look for these images, living uh, as a hermit close to the poverty line, 
So you're putting yourself in a state of uh, wretched living conditions so that um, you're forcing yourself to have a direct experience to uh, natural world and the harshness of nature. So you can like, it's like forcing, putting yourself in the deep end to uh, force yourself to be awakened uh, to the truth that you get uh, from these living conditions. And so you know, there's like 400 years there already. And then you have the development um, of you know, the different Buddhist ideas, whether it be esoteric Buddhism and Zen Buddhism. Um, and off they go, and, and now here we are a thousand years later. And of course, all this has changed a lot throughout the time. So like, um, I'm going off a bit of a tangent, but like uh, wabi, wabu or wabishi, uh, which is the original adjective, um, means like uh, wretched. It's probably a good way to translate it in English. Um, and that's probably more close to sabi now than what wabi means for me. Oh. So, yeah. So when I look for some of the, the current um, understandings and I would compare to them what the, the origins of these words are, um, the origins are more sabi in flavour than what wabi has now morphed into. Okay, so the meanings have kind of swapped of the words. Not swapped, no. Originally, um, both, uh, like, sab sabu is like to rust. Mm -hmm. Okay, and wabu is is like uh, to be wretched. So could you could you could you attribute these words to one is an uh, a, a mental or like a like a like a concept, and one is actually a bit like something referring to a physical state? Uh, that that come later. So um, one of the important twists that happened, um, which is why wabi is linked to uh, the tea ceremony in the first place. Um, of course, it's not all because of this, like for the sake of understanding, having a clear conversation, very simplistically. So you have these poets that are going off into the mountains, into nature, trying to explore um, living conditions close to the poverty line to find sabi and wabi, of course, other things back then, like mononawari, all these other things, we won't go off and talk about them, but trying to experience them in the, in the natural world. And... Um, so what, one great example is uh, Saigyo. He, he lived in the 1100s, just before uh, Dogen, who was the founder of the Soto sect of uh, Zen Buddhism. And most people will know uh, Dogen. Um, and so Dogen's big idea was that um, the state of being enlightened and practicing towards enlightenment are one and the same thing. So if you apply yourself to the way, and I want to discover the truth, that in itself is a state of enlightenment. Because it's a very profound concept. We can talk another thing on this, but I probably don't want to do that because it'll be too fluffy and people will be like, oh, Christ, shut up. But anyway, so this merge, merging with practice is his big idea. So people are looking outside themselves for images in nature that they can crystallise in poetry to evoke these ideals. But then Dorgan said actually putting it into practice is where it's at. So after Dorgan, you have an explosion in Japan of the traditional arts that we love and the tea ceremony being one of the most exemplary uh, arts. And so through tea, rather than just trying to pursue uh, the aesthetic ideals of wabi and sabi, you're actually trying to live them as both an aesthetic and a moral uh, ideal. 
So my question would be now, so from what I understand, wanting to go, you know, go and search for truth like a hermit in order, to, like, you know, to spiritually find enlightenment and things like that. That was the beginning. And then the development is going to, okay, now you can understand maybe the aesthetic part of it or the, the, the idea of it, but now you need to realize by living it, how does this living actually relate to other people? Because this sounds to me a very like lonely way of living. Mm -hmm. so is it enough, for example, to just, oh, I'm just making tea by myself, for example, mm. in a hut in the mountains, mm. or is it important to relate your art and one another to others? Yeah, so, um, so this is, all this is my understanding, all right? So, and of course it'll change, like, next week, so what we can achieve <laughs> today, let's, let's achieve it. So, um, Sabi, um, it's almost impossible to live Sabi. Sabi's like on the cusp of death. It's like almost cold, whereas Wabi has a warmness about it. Um, so, like, to give some concrete images, like, I, I could give poetry and stuff like that, but still it would be, like, about Chinese and Japanese landscapes when you're so close to us. But um, I'll try and give some images from different places I've been that will evoke Sabi and Wabi, right? And then oh, we'll yeah, have a, a better conversation, because we're sort of going mm -hmm. around where we want to go to. Yeah. So, um, Sabi, right, like imagine you've got like a rusted shed out the back paddock I'm in Australia at the moment, right? There's like a corrugated <laughs> iron shed and it's rusted, it's been there for ages and there's a dead tree beside it and the branches of that dead tree are scraping against the corrugated iron. Okay, that, that's Sabi. Um, what else? You've got like um, freshly fallen snow in in winter and you wake up in the morning and there's a freshly fallen blanket of snow. It's like this sparse landscape and if you go out there you might die. But then a crane comes and lands in the snow and has a look around. Now that's Sabi. The, the another, another one is, uh, you see it quite often um, in the cities, there'd be like, there'll be a bird on the footpath and it's struggling, and you don't know whether it's going to live or die. But there's hope, but only just. That's that's Sabi. Mm. So to try and try and live this every day, it's like like full on asceticism. Like you can't live that every day and interact with the world. You can evoke it, and you can understand that it's beautiful, uh, because we all like loneliness, like we have to have some private time, otherwise we go crazy. So um, we understand that these sabi images are beautiful because we appreciate loneliness. And we appreciate uh, the comfort in being sad sometimes. Because through being sad, we understand what it is to be happy. So there is value in these things, right? So we understand that. But to try and live it is very hard. You put yourself outside society in some aesthetic, masochistic pursuit for the ultimate, you end up like making yourself sick or something. Whereas Wabi, um, what's a good image for Wabi? Um, things appear in everyday life. So uh, 
one, one of the things I like saying, um, it's a very personal thing to me because I had quite a, um, quite a profound experience when I noticed it. I was preparing uh, for a talk or a tea gathering or something and on the stove in the spring sunlight, the soup started to steam and I was in deep thought and everything was quiet around me and then I just noticed out of the corner of my eye the soup steaming. It's like noticing the soup steaming. That That's wabi. Why is it wabi? Because it's like um, natural processes are happening around me all the time and everything's going to be okay. But it doesn't involve you. You're not the centre of the universe. That's the thing that pe people can't get over. So, um, one of the things that alludes to this, um, but it's absolutely not wabi, um, on the front of the, um, the Gallery of Modern Art in Scotland, the Scottish Gallery of Modern Art in Edinburgh, there's a big neon sign, uh, they have like the big uh, columns out the front, standard like Roman, you know, F off <laughs> architecture. But then there's a big neon sign, everything is going to be all right. Okay, so that's like this egoistic thing, like we know it's going to be, but still the human and the I is at the centre of that expression. But, yeah, Wabi, so you think will be okay. Pardon? Like you will be okay. Yeah, we're going to be okay, but it's like, it's, it's humble. It's like in the background, nature is rocking you and has got you and everything's going to be okay, but it, it's, it's behind the scenes. It's always there. Like um, another wabi, um, what's another example? Um, like, um, oh, I don't know. Something, I'm trying to think of something from everyday life. Um, I've see if I've, I have to check my notes. Ah, here's a good one. Um, because I check my notes, um, one of the things that also come into mind when I was thinking about some web images is um, I think this would be very close to many people, I'm sure. You've had a party and it's been a great night and then you've gone to bed and you haven't been bothered packing stuff up. Then you wake up in the morning and out on the table are like cold leftovers and it's like things have happened and things have progressed and of course the state of the food we naturally intuit like very subtly has changed and something's happened and that sight of like oh nature's just doing its thing it's transforming this food and gonna get a bit off and decompose and then some bugs are gonna come everything's gonna take care of itself that's another wabi uh, image now mm. um, what else do i have um Oh, another one. So, like, in, in comparison to, uh, like, a, that, that frozen landscape of the freshly fallen snow in winter, that sparse and, like, desolation. Um, I experienced this with, um, with Erica from the World Tiger in, in Australia. And look, looking out the front of our accommodation, and there was, like, an inlet from the ocean and like some water had come inland and there, there was like circled by you know, eucalyptus trees, by gum trees and out of nowhere come the, a pack of kangaroos and they were just jumping through the water of the inlet. It's like, wow, I didn't expect that. But like 
nature in its own way is just humbly and very warmly just showing that we're, we're, we're working in the background, everything's going to be okay. That's, that's like, um, it's like a surprising and warm uh, realisation that natural processes are working and everything's going to be okay. But in, in comparison, Sabi is more like um, there's an aching for that realisation. It's like, I want to understand and I'm searching for that ultimate truth. And that takes you off into a bit of a, um, like, ascetic pursuit. But whereas Wabi is like a, it's a surprising realisation, a welcome, surprising, warm realisation. So is that, would, is that why you would argue that these words are separate and not together? Because mm. one, see, Sabi can be lived, uh, can't be lived as a moral path. Um, you mm. can, but, like, you, you have to go off by yourself and... People won't even know when you die. It's like that desolate and lonely and sad. Um, but Wabi is about being in the world and experiencing these subtle gestures of nature and turning them into your own moral path. So the, the, the loneliness, this is where T comes into it. Because with Dorgan's idea about um, living these concepts, living these enlightened um, ideals of beauty, um, in T, those moments of wabi can come out in the simple gestures of somebody that has mastered a tea ceremony. Like these soft, unassuming gestures of just putting the tea scoop down on the tea caddy. That can be, oh, it's beautiful. Everything's working, everything's going to be okay. That, that's, that's where it becomes a moral path because you're trying to realise these moments for yourself as, as a way and because the self isn't the centre of that way, um, that's where the the um, the way comes into it. Because yeah? mm. to take your to take your ego out of it and live uh, free of that ego, um, filtering through everything, is um, is a, a moral pursuit. Okay. So um, would you would you apply? I mean. Another another uh, question regarding the aesthetic is that um, a lot of people do associate, or the first thing that they think usually if, if they hear wabi sabi, yeah. is is kintugi. So the art of repairing a precious piece of pottery. Um, some people have. I mean, I I participated in a kintugi class where um, people got almost really obsessed about. Uh, you know, like repairing pottery. And I think, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing to take care of something that you care about, that you use every day, or um, I've got a teacup that I've rescued from uh, my godfather's house when they had to clear the house in England. So this, you know, this, it means something to me. So if that would break, I would take care and try and fix it. And so I think that makes sense. However, uh, at the workshop, I that people kept bringing broken pieces of pottery. And I thought, are they really clumsy or how, how is the house full of broken pottery, you know? Mm. And so uh, I had the feeling that possibly people intentionally breaking things in order to create artificially mm. this sort of aesthetics. And so I wondered, like, what's your experience and, and, and opinion about this kind of mm. stuff? Mm. Um, so 
purposely breaking something in order to make uh, kintsugi piece is absolutely not what I'm saying. It's not the, the emphasis on natural processes, right? If in the course of natural processes it happens, rock the house, okay? Great. Um, and because the kintsugi is highlighting the reverence for natural processes. If you go, great, let's do kintsugi, your ego is in it. I am in there. I want to do this. I want to show everybody that I acknowledge the beauty of wabi-sabi and kintsugi. So, no. No, there's no wabi-sabi. You're going in the right direction, but it's not quite there. Uh, um, so, one of, the, one of the things I think um, would be very helpful here is um, most people think that um, it has to be like old, decrepit, wretched, broken, imbalanced to be wabi-sabi, okay? But, and this is something that I had um, a huge amount of trouble uh, understanding for a very long time, is that um, things that we normally understand as very beautiful can also be wabi. So um, when sabi is more about that the wretched, cold desolation, right? Um, one of the things that um, might help articulate this problem with kintsugi is, uh, for instance, um, it comes to mind because I was using it the last two days in tea gatherings. The the um, calligraphy that I've been using is sanshun no shoi shijiu Okay, so what that means is that um, the three phases of spring or the life, the life in the three phases of spring pervades uh, all seasons. Okay, so the life of the three phases of spring pervades all seasons. So what that means, um, in China and Japan, traditionally they divide the seasons into three. So like early spring would be like when the plum blossoms on an old tree. Okay, so um, in the snow, the old ume plum blossoms and we're like, oh, thank God, we're going into spring. There's hope. Great, that's the first period of spring. Then the second, so this is also a wabi uh, image, right? It's not old and decrepit, okay? And uh, the second period of spring was like, there'd be the cherry blossoms have come out or the wisteria is out and the air's perfumed and we're starting to get a few strings of nice sunny days and we think, you beauty, let's go outside and do some tea underneath the cherry blossoms and drink some sake, celebrating life. And then the third stage of spring is like the peonies are out, the peony roses are out and they're like drunk on the spring and they're like bobbing up and down underneath their own beauty. It's so gorgeous that like, oh, this is fantastic, man. Uh, that's like the, the third phase of spring. And this is a, a very much a wabi, uh, wabi ideal as well because it's that humble suggestion, well, some of these are not humble what I've been talking about, like certainly the, the ume flower, the pe uh, plum blossom, that's a very humble suggestion of natural processes working in the background. Okay? And so with the kintsugi, if you're like a klutz and you're packing up after a tea gathering and there's so much stuff to pack up and, oh, in my haste, I bumped something off the table and it broke. And, oh, that's actually very important to me, that piece. Um, and you, you repair it with kintsugi. Great, lock the house. That's certainly going to evoke something. 
or like something that's happened to me a few times, like I'll get something sent uh, from some of the many places I've got my, my shit around the world <laughs> and it'll chip or break or something along the way. And who knows when it was, it's like in this limbo mode and somewhere along the way it's cracked and that's fine. And then you repair it and that will evoke something of that wabi-sabi ideal, not that thing on purpose. It's like that, the reverence for the natural process is always working in the background. And is it important, I mean, from what I know, is that you, you use certain materials to fix, especially pottery. Uh, is it important that it is, for example, gold that you apply to it or, you know, that, that certain materials that are precious need to be used in order to highlight the, the fault or something like that? Mm. Mm, that's a tricky one. Um, I think, I think um, the, the use of gold and like silver um, also, there's quite a lot of use of silver in these things, um, traditionally was just uh, for that fact that in, in these small workings, these small cracks that just open up and express eternity, that's where the truth is. And so the emphasis on um, like Western um, ideals of beauty, coming from beautiful, perfect marble sculptures and the human form, like, look how beautiful we are, you know? Like, and bang. flawless and perfect and everything. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> great. And it's, it is, it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. Um, but then you go off into this, the wabi-sabi ideals, and it's like, no, the, the truth is underneath the surface. It's bubbling away and occasionally it'll reveal itself. And that's where the truth is. And so the cracks is like something's opened up in this cracked tea bowl. It's revealed natural processes. Let's honour that and let's bring that up. And so the use of gold and silver is to, for me, to, to honour that fact, I think. Hmm. No, I, I think it's quite beautiful. Um, how do you, can you apply this also to other materials? I mean, we talked about pottery breaking. Uh, what if table breaks, what if cloth tears? Is that, is, is it just something that you would apply to, you know, to pottery? Or can you also, or how does it change if, you know, if mm -hmm. your kimono rips or... Mm -hmm. Or um, there's cultural ideals have to tiptoe around there too if you use like kimono or something like that because it's so ingrained into Japanese culture but for like tablecloth um, repair the bloody thing like use it as long as you can yeah and you get to you get to enjoy how it changes over time and then all of a sudden this is my great-grandmother's tablecloth how bloody beautiful is that it's like it's got the smell of, of ages in it and a design and a pattern from a mind that existed three generations ago. Like what a great thing to honour. Just in that fact alone is a reverence for the, for the transition of time and natural processes. Mm. And that's gorgeous to enjoy that. But to have a hole because um, someone was smoking at the table and, and dropped some hot ash on it and chuck it out, that's, that's terrible. Be like, oh, my great-grandfather used to love smoking a cigarette while reading poetry to the family. <laughs> One night, that's where his, his hot ash dropped and burned a hole. 
and my great-grandmother mended it with um, this beautiful um, piece of uh, cotton because she didn't have a colour that matched the tablecloth, so that's why it stands out or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Super of course, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Is there any sort of superstition attached to old objects in that way? Though? I mean, for example, in, as I understand, in some of Western tradition, for example, if you... Um, if you would buy or recycle a wedding ring or like a, or like a um, what do you call it, engagement ring mm. that already has been used, but it's not actually a like hand me down from it like within the family, but it's you know mm. you go to a second hand shop, so it's considered something that is you know unlucky and you shouldn't really be using mm. that. Is there something like that in Japanese culture that you say, mm. well, this is not wabi sabi anymore? This is actually bad luck if you use this that has been. I don't know. I don't know enough about Japanese culture to know if there's superstitions around engagement. Uh, Traditionally, there's not engagement rings. So I know. I know that at least. Yeah. How about the tea room? Is there any superstition that is attached to things breaking, falling? Uh, not really. No. no. Things don't break and fall in the tea room because tea people don't drop things. Oh. Yes. <laughs> um. I think I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the the reappropriation of. I mean, like it goes up off in, into a different, I guess, maybe a bit of a tangent or something. But um, in your teachings, or when you teach people coming to tea uh, as fairly new people, so they don't have a whole a full set of dogu and a whole shelf of different chawans and and uh, chasens and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, always encourage people to have uh, to use what they have can you talk a little bit about that and like uh, how it's possible to use objects that are yeah. not for objects yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're going into some very uh, deep ground now <laughs> I'll try and make why not palatable. it's Sunday yeah. Yeah. I'll try and make it doesn't seem like we are but I'll try and make it as palatable as possible so hmm. one it alludes actually to what you uh, where you, where you were going with the example of uh, engagement rings. Not not so much in terms of superstition, but certainly um, about whether they evoke these aesthetic ideals or not. So um, we, I, I definitely encourage people to use all the things they have around them. Uh, it's called a mitate. Okay, so you you repurpose uh, or you um, reimagine um, an object that's being made for something for it, something totally unrelated and that was it was not even envisaged in the maker's ken that this object could possibly be used for that. that that's mitate. Uh, like the easiest example is, because um, it, it comes from tea, people listening to this will probably be aware, is uh, like a Korean rice bowl or a soup bowl. Taken to Japan and used as a tea bowl. Okay? The person that made it in Korea would never envisage that this would ever possibly be used in the context of a tea ceremony, let alone fetch a ginormous amount compared to the 50 cents that he sold it for. Okay? So in this is, um, there's a very deep concept um, about um, like concept, no concept, so muso in Buddhism. Okay, so there's like this, um, there's this stated being bubbling away in the background all the time and concepts will crystallise and then fade away. It's like this mutable 
jelly in the background of everything. That when we meditate, we can tap into that background. And mitati comes from this. It's like this bowl did not have the concept of tea bowl included in it when it was made. But because concepts are mutable in the ultimate scheme of things, it can suddenly become a tea bowl. Right? And this touches upon wabi and sabi, more uh, wabi, because now that we've got these concrete ideas about what, well, somewhat concrete ideas about what, what, what this beauty is, people are trying to make it. Okay, but the thing is that as soon as you try and make it, it slips away. Mm. And so when you get that real punch about, oh my God, this is so beautiful. By looking at this object, I understand more clearly the idea of wabi. Mm. That can only really come from something that has been in this musical state of con conceptual form and repurposed into something. Like, I picked this bowl to drink off because I thought it might come in handy as an example. It's not going to help when people listen to on the podcast. I'll try and explain. So um, this is a tamig root bowl um, from the from Morocco, um, from the edge of the Sahara. So I can bet your bottom dollar that the people making this had no idea that I was going to use this as a tea bowl and give this as an example of wabi uh, on this podcast. So obviously made in a hurry. It's very imbalanced, um, it's tilting to the side because who cares, it's a bowl, someone's going to drink some soup out of it and pay 50 cents for it, whatever. Um, that's that's the, the, the kind of thing. Um, hi. No, I think this I think this 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 concept super beautiful because uh, when when we started uh, when I started you know um, getting lessons from you I you know I mean I had some some basic things but when we started to get a bit deeper into the teachings you also said oh you need to have a wastewater vessel you need to have this and and I started just picking things from the house and actually and I'm I'm not quite sure if if, if this works. For sure, but I, um, I just grabbed um, for the kintsugi. Uh, sorry, for the um, for the wastewater uh, vessel. I actually picked something that was quite perfect in Western uh, perception. I, I took a crystal ball, <laughs> as one does, right? Like one has like crystal balls at home, and um, and I used that. And I actually found that when I poured water into it, because of it being crystal, and I, you know being designed the way it is, it made a very beautiful sound. Mm. And I thought in that moment, oh, actually, I feel that this is quite beautiful and added to something that I didn't expect it to, to do. So, and in that respect, I felt there was a magical moment that absolutely. just happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. These things that reveal something deeper about uh, nature and yeah. existence, absolutely, that's where you find Wabi. <laughs> whereas, whereas to contrast, like something that comes to mind, uh, a sound, we're in the world of sounds now, I, I love sounds, so um, sabi would be black metal, okay, one of my favourite musical genres, so um, we don't care about sound quality, we're going to record our garage extreme metal with the old cassette deck just to see how terrible it sounds. Yeah, yeah. That grating, like, desolation of screaming in the cold before you die on an old cassette deck, right? That's savage. 
Whereas your sound in the crystal bowl, tipping out your wastewater that you don't need anymore, and finding the harmony, the music of the spheres, that's more of a lovey image. Mm, beautiful. I um, have another question about tea rooms in Wabi Sabi. Um, mm. uh, a few weeks ago, you gave a great talk on the changing of the uh, of the layout of tea rooms. So mm. you know, changing of how many mats are in, found in Japanese tea room, how, um, where where and how many sources of light were um, mm. in the room. Um, the, no, the way you enter the tea room and I think my question is a little bit how do you decide or how I mean is it was it a conscious decision I mean is it all were all developments by different tea masters right that decided okay my practice is reflected in you know the way the tea room is laid out you know where the light comes from and also what I want the guests to experience there so I want people to be either more inward or more outwardly exploring what happens in the world. How is, I mean, is there always basically a, is, do they try and find a balance between Wabi and Sabi? Is it an active choice? Or is it, as you say, is it just something that they probably played with and it just happened? Mm. The, the idea about um, taking a tea room mm. and getting people into a separate place, um, divorced from uh, the everyday world, even if it is a tea room built in a city, um, like you have a garden or a small uh, natural landscape surrounding the tea room. So there's an idea about taking yourself away into um, a state of separateness, um, into a more lonely stage, because that loneliness, right? So it's very important to have uh, privacy and moments of being alone, because when we're alone and we have that privacy, we can discover uh, our true values, um, our true self. Um, if we're constantly stimulated, that slips away all the time. So there's that conscious uh, planning. We want to take people off to meditate about these uh, moral and aesthetic values. So therefore we need to take people away from the everyday world. And so the, the idea of the tea room is similar to what the old poets were doing um, in China and Japan uh, back in the, you know, the you know, before, I mean, I'm just thinking of Japanese areas now, before the Kamakura period, which is like 1100 and whatever, a thousand years ago, going off into the mountains to pursue these things. Okay, um, with Dogen's idea that the way um, that enlightenment and practice are one and the same, okay, it opened up exploring these things more in an everyday setting. So even though you're still in the city, um, you can build a tea house and but with through your imagination, take yourself away like a hermit would do when they're going away from, um, from everyone off into the mountains. Okay, that suggestion there in the tea house. Um, and so um, at the centre of that uh, practice is to um, enjoy uh, being a little bit lonely. Um, and so and that's um, essential to understanding uh, Wabi and so. I think this ties in really nicely with what we talked about uh, last time when we talked about sacred space and creating a sacred space for yourself. So basically, if we were to experience Wabi Sabi, I mean, I, I think I want to like, I think this, this was a super nice session and I think I want to wrap it up a little bit into like a, um, if, let's say we have created the sacred space in our in our home and we want to 
um, experience Wabi Sabi. Um, could you maybe give, uh, I mean, sorry, the, the, the way you set up um, the sacred space was by um, setting apart a very distinct uh, bit of your flat or your room or whatever um, by laying down maybe a carpet or like just a piece of cloth to set apart, um, keeping it clean, uh, having a flower, maybe a piece of poetry or picture. And if you wanted to uh, evoke images of Wabi Sabi, um, is there like a way, maybe a, a poem that you would suggest that someone could read or a piece of music that you've recently heard inspired you, like something like that, that you could um, no, no, give no, no, no. No, that's, no, everyone has to go and do the work themselves. Otherwise, they'll be dropping things and doing kintsugi all the time. Um, the, the, the images will crystallise for people in different ways, in poetry and music and writing. Um, but for, for me, you need to grapple, right? And so in that sacred space, you're putting a flower. So you wake up in the morning, you cut the flower and you put it in your alcove and you make a bowl of tea. And at certain points making that bowl of tea, you'll realise how very subtly that flower has changed. Might have opened up a bit more. One of the leaves might have started drooping a little bit. Okay, this is all wabi. Okay, you need to be attentive to those things. Okay, and when you're attentive to these things, you can also be attentive to the way that people react emotionally to different circumstances. Okay, and that then sets you off on that moral path. Okay, so um, when you um, are making a bowl of tea, you'll notice the different noises that the kettle makes when it's boiling at different temperatures and how the steam curls in the air at different temperatures, okay? Being attentive to these small details in how nature works all by itself without you having to do anything, okay? That's, that's developing these images for yourself. And if you're attentive to these small natural processes, then when you actively pursue these things in poetry, every now and again you'll get an image that just like, boom, oh, that crystallises it for me. And then you can hold on to those things and that will open your eyes up to more images in the natural world as you walk through it. Um, but yeah, for me to try and do that, it'll probably, for about 10 people, it'll be like, oh, and then for 100 other people, it'll be like, oh, I've never seen that before in nature. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, everybody, everybody can be attentive to the kettle boiling. Everybody yeah. can be attentive to the flower and how it changes. Like the, one of the best processes to pick the flower and then the next day you come back and do a tea and the same flowers there. And yeah. nature would have worked out how to arrange it best. While I like that. Yeah, that's, that's why. Perfect. Thank you so much. This is really brilliant. Thank you so much, Adam. Um, I would invite people, if, if, they are, if they have any questions right now, um, they could um, post them just in the comment section here. Uh, while people can think about and uh, about the questions, I just want to uh, let people know that also if they're interested in hearing more about your teachings, the way you operate, um, what your, your, um, how you're teaching works, if they want to follow tea ceremony, learn more about it, that they can go to uedachanuyu.com, uedasokochanuyu.com. Hi. 
And or they can also go to uh, www.patreon.com uh, slash Adam um, I'm going to post this this uh, video or, uh, or the, the audio of this video on Spotify in the next few days. And I'm going to put in the comment the the um, the links as well so that people can just follow up and find you. Um, of course, they can also see here on Instagram um, what your what your channel is as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, so if, is there anyone having any questions? Some very There's no questions for Wabi Sabi. You've answered all the questions. Some very beautiful people to say hello. But, uh, okay. Yeah, but I think I mean this this was super nice. I think um, I, for me, really, the the images really spoke to me, and I felt like if you to grasp a concept that's that's so highly, um, uh, I think it's just so. Mm, like it's not tangible. It's very conceptual. It's very poetical. Um, images, I think, really speak to me at least personally. So I, I really enjoyed that. Um, there, there's someone asking, what is the main difference between Urasenke and Urasoko? Um, <laughs> and if you, yeah, um, there's time for for answering questions now. So if you okay, want to um, do that. <laughs> One school of tea is called Urasenke, and the other school of tea is called Urasoku. <laughs> That's the main difference. Otherwise, they're both pursuing the way of tea. Um, they both have uh, uh, an orientation towards a different um, aesthetic ideal. Uh, and Urasenke is, a, is traditionally a merchant class school of tea, comes from the merchant class of Japan. So there's a heavy emphasis on objects, art objects, and the Wedesoko Ryu is a warrior school of tea from the warrior class of old Japan, and there's more of an emphasis on uh, um, on the self, um, on the breath, on the body, the posture, and the integration of the self uh, with the aesthetic concepts in those dogu. So if I'm not making any sense, to put it even bluntly and risking uh, make, losing friends, um, a merchant class school of tea is interested in showing the beauty of art objects and putting yourself in the background. And warrior class school of tea uh, is interested in making those aesthetic concepts yours in a moral way of living. That's a bit fluffy, but I'll have to talk a lot more on that. That's another talk. Yeah, I think. No, I, I think, don't want to talk about that because I'll make enemies. Yeah, no, but I think it's really I mean, it's, it's interesting to ask those questions for people who haven't experienced it. So, and I think it's it's a lot bigger than just um, just you know giving a one minute answer um, because this is a big question. But I think today we we uh, Sorry, made let it. Me that. That, let me say that. Huh? Yeah. Um, they are both pursuing the way of tea, and they are both. Beautiful. Very nice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now I think um, you know it's it's always good to like um, it, you know try and grapple with big question or this big concept uh, one step at a time. And I think uh, today was a really nice way to tap into the kind of uh, intangible philosophical way of of understanding one part of the way of tea. Um, and Japanese aesthetics, at least in, in, in that way. 
So I thank you, Adam, so much uh, for sharing your knowledge. This was amazing.